I want to play a little bit of a, 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 not really a name that tomb, but a name that building as we begin here this morning, uh, talking about purpose of certain things. And so I'm going to throw out some buildings for you. And, and you, you tell me if you know what this building is or what the purpose is for it. Let's look at the first one. <laughs> tacos well maybe no i mean this this i mean it's a mind-blowing building the structure how they've created it it is called the indira gandhi planetarium in india now it opened in 1993 uh, it serves as a planetarium now the building design really shows you that it's it's designed after saturn with all the rings and everything around it so we kind of get that idea it's either a, a, a planet or a taco stand one or the other right isn't that what we just figured out um the building, because of that, it's, it's, it just inspires us to want to go inside and see what's happening there. Let's look at this next one. Oh, oh, some of you know what that is. You've probably made the trip there, haven't you? That is the home office of the Longaberger Basket Company in Newark, Ohio. Now, the founder of the company, when he, when he was, as the company was expanding, he wanted to create a home office that really spoke to the world about what they were about. And so they created this giant basket back in 1997. Now, it's made of stucco and steel structure, and it, it creates the idea of, of what looks like an actual Longaberger basket, but more on a grander scale. So as you drive by that, you would say, they make tacos there, right? <laughs> ah, tacos is it. Well, okay, how about this, this next picture? What is this? Books, library. Where? Kansas City. This is, this is the, actually the, the parking garage of the Central Library there in Kansas City, Missouri. It was built in 2006, how they created this, this facade uh, covering up the parking area, but made it look like a bookshelf. Uh, uh, and, and so that building has won numerous awards. It's a parking garage, but it's there for the library. And so you know when we come here, the library's got to be right here, Right. And so we, we see the purpose behind those buildings. Now, there's a, really, there's a very relatively new construction that has just taken place in 2019. Let's see if you can guess what this place is, this next one. Hmm. Airport. Who said airport? You're right. This is the airport. Matter of fact, this is Beijing's second international airport. It, it has replaced Istanbul as the world's largest airport. All right. Let me give you a few. It was, it was finished in, in 2019. It's known as the Starfish. All right. But it's, it's, it spans over, catch this, seven and a half million square feet. Now that, that's... That's big. I mean, that's, that's a huge, and I'm sure it was created to accomplish its purpose. And when you think about it, it's, it not only looks incredible, but its design has been revolutionary, and it makes it extremely practical for all the travelers who come through as well, just by not just the look, but the way they've designed everything inside. And so it's made things to be easier, so the building is both functional and it's also stunning to behold. Okay, it, what, what about this next building? <laughs> tacos. <laughs> this ta yeah, that's what the T stands for, tacos, right? 
All right, so we, we, we get it. I mean, I mean, what makes this building so unique? I mean, it's, well, it's not really that impressive as structures go, right? Maybe it's, it's fulfilling its purpose of what's supposed to happen within it, but it's, it's one of these things that we have to look out. At, and so I want to say that it's probably not the building structure itself, but it's the people inside. We call this the church. But somehow it has stolen the identity of you all. Because you are the church. It's not a building. That building has a purpose. It's being served throughout the week in a variety of ways. But the purpose goes beyond that. It goes beyond just being a building on a hill where people gather every week to come in and worship. So beyond that building, I want to talk this morning about the people inside that building, about us as a congregation, about us as an assembly of people, about us as the body of Christ, and what is our purpose? How do we relate to what God wants us to do? We know that we are to be a church that makes disciples who love God and others. I mean, that's what we're called to do, correct? So how do we do that? How do these people inside that building fulfill their purpose? And what is it? Well, the first thing I think it is this. It is to exalt God. That's what we are designed to do. We are designed to exalt God. The Word of God teaches us that His church is to glorify Him. It's to bring Him praise. It's to bring Him honor. It's to bring Him the world's attention. Obviously, each one of us is designed to bring glory to God in and through our lives specifically. All right, so how we live demonstrates either our reverence and admiration for God or our indifference and contempt. Because we know, he says you can't have it both ways. You've got to either be hot or cold. He doesn't like it mid, you know, lukewarm. We're either on fire or we're, we're freezing. But even more than, than, than bringing this exaltation to God, those of us who acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and we have accepted Him as our Lord and Savior, we're obligated. Now catch this. When you acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, you now are obligated to live your life in obedience his commands otherwise you can't be a part of that church because if we don't obey his commands he says we're not in him and we don't love him so we're obligated there so through living our life we also then become this catalyst for other people to follow after Jesus and and become his disciples as well and for them to recognize and then ultimately to bring glory to him in return. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus makes this statement when he's talking to his disciples. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give Glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
So as lights in this world, we are to demonstrate through who we are and what we do the glory of God. And we are called upon to help other people who are in darkness to see the truth about who He is so that they in return can glorify Him. Do you know anybody in darkness? Do you know anybody who, who does not have the light of life within them? I mean, those are the people that we're supposed to shine brightly before so that they see Jesus. And we're called to, to help them see the light of Christ so that He can become Lord of their life. Now, we know that light exposes or it expels darkness, but light also serves as a guide. Airport runways, such as the one they have there in Beijing, they help planes see the landing strips at night. And so the pilots, they can come in and they know, if I stay between this runway of lights, I'm going to be safe. If I go beyond them or if I land before them or outside of them, i got problems. We are to be that light that guides people to know where it's safe for them. So how good of a guide are you? I mean, can someone see the light within you? Or have you extinguished it? See, I want you to note this very careful. There is no such thing as a secret Christian. You can't hide it. That goes against everything that He's asked us to be. He doesn't want us to secretly worship Him, secretly acknowledge Him, and not let other people around us know that we're a Christian. Because how do we make disciples if we're hiding our faith? We can't do it. So if you are God's child, your light must be seen. And to many Christians, we're walking around kind of incognito. Their identity is disguised and no one really, really knows who they are or what they are. But light shines not that people may see the light, but they may see other things around them because of the light. Light shines not to attract people to us like the moth at night to their death. It shines so that they can see who Jesus is and they'll be attracted to Him. People need the Lord. And Christians, we are the light of this world to attract them in the darkness. So what good is light if it's placed under a bushel? What good is your life if no one knows that you're a Christian? Now it's said that back in Palestine, during the time of era in which Jesus lived, the, the homes there in that area usually had one small window. They had no electricity, so that means they had no light bulbs. And if they didn't have a whole lot of windows coming in to let the light outside in, or what happens at night, so they would have what was called a lamp, or a candle stand or a lamp. I brought with me a lamp that is, you can find these over in Israel all over the place. But this is a personal lamp that you would fill it with oil, with a wick, and, and then you would light that wick and it would burn. 
You would use that as you went about the house at night, take it with you. But they also had the bigger lampstands that were used to write up the rooms for, for more people and you didn't have to carry them around, so they'd put them on a lampstand. Now, now, something unique about these lamps, when people left, they would put them under a basket or a bushel or an earthen vessel of some type that still allowed oxygen and air to get to the flame so it would not go out. But they wanted to protect it so that nothing else would it out. Because if it got blown out, they just couldn't pull a match out of their pocket or a lighter. They had to somehow recreate that fire again. And that's not easy. If you did not have the resource of a matchstick or, or a fire stick or a lighter or whatever you want to call them, how would you create a fire? So they would make sure that it had enough oil within it so that it would last during the period in which they were gone and they would keep it protected underneath something so that nothing would extinguish that flame. And then when they came home, they could take it out of that vessel or that basket and then it would let light shine in the room again. All right. So when we think about all these things, as a result, no one wants to go out and let the wick burn out. We want to make sure that it is there. So Jesus calls us to let our light shine, he says. Don't hide it under that bushel as if you're gone. Make sure that it's out and its brilliance is seen by everybody so that they can see and glorify me. So why should I let my light shine? Why, why can't I, I live any way I want to choose? Why do I have to do it his way? Because if I want the benefits of what he has to offer, of life that's everlasting, of the forgiveness of my sins, I don't set the standards by which I live. He does. The story told of a man whose job was to be on this railroad track at the specific time because the bridge had some issues with it. And so he was supposed to take with him his lantern. And when oncoming trains were to approach he was supposed to wave that in front of them so they would stop and then they would be able to get the connection to go move over so they wouldn't hit the ditch that lay ahead well one night the train ended up coming and the man held out his lantern and he's waving it at the train like crazy but the train kept coming and it ended up in the ditch they took the man into court for failure to do his job. And as he was asked by the judge specific questions about, he, about what he was doing there, the judge asked him, were you on duty the night that the train went into the ditch? He said, yes, sir. The judge asked him, did you have your lamp with you? Yes, sir. The judge asked the last question, did you wave your lamp at the train? Yes, sir. And the man was finally acquitted. But as he was leaving, he said to one of his friends on his way home, I'm glad the judge didn't ask me if I had lit my lamp. <laughs> Christians, that's where we are a lot of times. We're not bringing glory to God because we're not shining brightly and we're not exalting Him in our lives. We are pretending sometimes. But the light that's in us has got to be the light of Christ. That's where the difference is. 
we exalt Him in our lives. You see, glorifying God should be our aim in everything we do. We must not only endeavor to glorify our God in ourselves, but in people around us. And, and if you're not glorifying God and trying to initiate other people into light, by letting them see the light, by letting them see your good works is what Jesus says, then they're not going to be convinced of the truth and they're not going to worship Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul says this, Or do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So what? So glorify God in your body. He goes on in chapter 10, verse 31, he says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That's who we are. We are to exalt God in everything we do. But the Apostle Paul, he also said this in Romans chapter 15, verse 6. He said that together you may with one voice, he's speaking of the church as a whole now, that together we may as with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just talking about me as an individual now. He's talking about this church as a whole unit. He's talking about the church universal. That we are to glorify God as if one voice. Years ago, Maurice and I were given the opportunity to go to a, a Kansas City Chiefs football game against the Oakland Raiders back in 2013. What a game. All right? But during that game, one of the interesting things about it Football is known for its loud and raucous fans, all right? If you've, yeah, we have to admit that. They're, they're, they're extremely loud. They're extremely noisy. They're just out there and belligerent, all right? But as the game was coming to a close and Kansas City was winning 24-7, to something was happening in the stadium that, that we weren't really aware of. They were going for a world record. Well, not that score. That's obvious. They were going for a Guinness Book of World Records for volume in an open-air stadium. And so we joined in in all the screaming and all the yelling. And because of my voice, they actually reached 137.5 <laughs> decibels. Well, I was one of the many. All right. But, but I, if I weren't there, it wasn't going to happen, right? So we're, but with one voice, those fans broke that record. How incredible you have to understand that is. A jet plane at about 100 feet, its engine roaring overhead hits about 140 decibels. All right? So we're talking loud. My ears were ringing. All right? With one voice, may this church worship and glorify God to where it shakes the world. Ephesians 3.21, Paul then says to him, Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, the second purpose of this building, of this group of people, I think is this. It's to equip believers. We, we have to be resolved to grow up, to mature in the faith. 
And, and we do by, by equipping one another. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, we read, Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So if you think God has done something good in your life, you want more of it. And we need to grow up in Him and mature in Him, become more like Him each and every day. Once we have received God's salvation and are enjoying that personal relationship with Him, it is vitally important that each one of us grow in Christ. We can't stay the same. You have to mature. So how do we grow? How do we mature? I mean, how do we help other people to become stronger in their faith? Well, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. So how do we do that? Well, we've got to dwell in Him. We've got to let the Word of God be a part of who we are in everything that we do. Equipping actually means teaching. And, and we're, we're doing that as a church when we teach one another about the Scriptures, about the Word of God, and how to apply that in our lives. But equipping is more than just teaching. Equipping is understanding where people are and knowing their efficiencies and their deficiencies in faith. And then giving them the things that they don't have so that they can be prepared for what lies ahead. So we've got to know each other. Where we're weak in the faith and where we're strong in the faith. And if all we do is focus on our own strengths, we're never going to grow but we've got to take the area into account that we have weaknesses to build those parts up. It's more than teaching because you have to be able to use what you're teaching. It's not simply filling your head with all kinds of Bible knowledge. If you don't know how to apply it to life, it's useless. Equipping is done for a specific purpose. We're not simply just to teach random things. We're not training you to simply be busy. We're equipping, equipping you to live a life on mission. Following the great commission that God has given. Each one of us are commanded by Christ to go into all the world and to make disciples. And while we're making disciples, teaching is a major part of that. Teaching them how to observe or to obey everything He's commanded. Not to ignore certain parts but included all. That's part of what my role is in the local body. And if I'm not instructing you and trying to teach you to move forward in your faith, I'm lacking there. And that's part of what your job is in the local body. If you see somebody that you're not encouraging to grow in their faith, and you're teaching them about your knowledge and what you know in the areas that they're lacking, then you're not fulfilling your job either. Equipping has an intentionality behind it. Making disciples cannot only happen on Sunday mornings or in Sunday night Bible study or on Wednesday evening youth program. It's got to happen daily. But even when we're equipping others, it's making us more like Jesus, who himself was a master teacher. It's often been said that the teacher probably learns more than the students because of their own personal study. If I would take you through the 20 plus hours of study that I did to write this one 35, 40 minute sermon, 
You see, I've got to grow as well in the process. We also believe that there are qualities of the faith walk which God expects us to possess in increasing measure. So Peter writes this in his second book, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-8. through 8. Listen to what he says. This is how we are to equip one another, we're to grow one another. He says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. It's that platform. Keep going, keep going. There's always more. You do not achieve perfection in this life. Though He perfects you, you will be made perfect when you stand before Him face to face. Until then, we grow in all these things. For if these qualities are yours, he says, and are increasing, they keep you from being what? Ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, our mission is to make disciples, right, who love God and others. To bring people to worship and to glorify Him but if we grow in these ways, we'll be effective. We'll be fruitful. So we need to grow. Thirdly, we're supposed to extend the love of Christ through fellowship and serving one another. We express the love to the body of Christ and to the people in our world. We're to support each other as different parts of the body supports itself to make it whole. That's, that's kind of what we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul uses the physical structure of the body to identify how we relate as a church and we help one another. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ. And from whom, from the head, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. With each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When we help each other, when we're working together, when we're supporting each other and making the whole body work and grow, we're actually equipping people with love. We're teaching them how to express and extend the love of Christ. So as we look around our community, for that matter, the world, really, most people that you encounter, they're involved in what we would call the service industry. And so they serve other people by their careers. I mean, that's just that's who we are. Most of us are in the service industry. We're doing something for somebody else. A lot of times they'll pay you to do those things. But that's just, our economy is built on serving one another. You want something to eat? You either go home and make it yourself or you let somebody else serve you. You want protection from the bully down the street? You either stand up against them yourself or you call the police and they serve you. Matter of fact, that's one of the models that they say. We're here to serve. 
So we live in a service industry, in a service world, and that makes people, when we serve them well, they come back time and time again, and they pay us for those. The church is no different. We're in the ministry of serving other people. The body of Christ, Paul has mentioned that each one of us play a very important role in serving one another in love, building each other up, and when we all work together, we fulfill the purpose that Christ has laid out for us. In John chapter 13, verse 34, 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, and also you are to love one another. By this, he says, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I mean, to love is to serve. We've learned that from Jesus. He said, I didn't come down here to be served. I came here to serve and to be a ransom for you all. We show our love to others through how we treat them. We believe that one way we must grow in the service to God and others, Peter says this in chapter 4 of his first letter, verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So each one of us has received a gift. We're not all the same. But we're to use the gifts that God has given us to serve each other, to love each other in that way. And if we want to be followers of Jesus, we need to follow his example by loving people, by being a servant to those that he came to serve. And we do that by looking around us and finding people that we can love and we can serve in return. Look around you. I want you to see people. Don't close your door to those who are in your neighborhood. Those that you encounter at work or at school. Or even in the church. We need to find ways in which we can express the love of Christ to them through our abilities. Finally, the purpose of the church is to evangelize the lost. And we see that in Matthew chapter 28 verse 19. Jesus gave the church this command. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We believe that we have been commissioned by God to go to others who need Jesus as their Savior and Lord, as well as those in need of a Christian encouragement and support. We're supposed to reach out to our world. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read that you will be received power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he tells his disciples. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Where is the end of the earth? Union, Missouri. It's made it here. The faith of Christ has made it across the seas and over the mountains and through the deserts and it's made its way into your very home. Where are you taking it? Our witness begins right where we are. We don't need to go to Africa or Timbuktu. Your mission starts in your house. 
and it spreads out to your neighbors. And throughout this community, and ultimately, it's going to make itself in some region that you've never been before because that message has been carried by those that you have talked to. Some of you may be called to go to the ends of the earth. And God leads each one of us down different paths. And I don't know where He's calling you. But I do know He is calling you. He doesn't ignore any one of you with that call. Each and every one of us, He's asking. In fact, I don't think it was an ask. I think it was a command. That we're to go. And as Christians, I think we should have the desire to see people come to know Jesus. And it falls on each of us to be able to share through our personal lives the gospel message. Peter again writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. You see, we each have a mission. We each have a calling. We each have a purpose. But collectively as the church, that's who we are as well. And this church has to be found fulfilling its purpose rather than being just a brick building up on a hill that looks like a, an assembly house for people to gather. We've got to do something with it. Many years before Abraham Lincoln was elected president, he was a storekeeper in Salem, Illinois. Abe had in the store a display of a rifle that was one of the most beautiful rifles that they had thought was made at that time. The barrel was made of the finest steel and, and the, the stock from the best walnut wood. And a world-famous gunsmith was the one who had assembled that gun and had blacksmithed it and put it together. Beautiful rifle. Yet the price was really reasonable. I mean, it was pretty cheap. Now displayed next to that rifle, there were a bunch of other Kentucky Squirrel rifles there that were made out of just regular gun steel and the stock was just whatever kind of wood they had and everything, but they were there. But their prices were quite a bit more than this one. Well, a Kentucky hunter came in one time and he, he wanted to, to, to buy a new rifle. He was impressed with this fine looking gun and, and he asked how come the price was lower than the price of those Squirrel rifles. And Abraham Lincoln told him, well, he says, it's a good-looking rifle, but it's only made for show. It doesn't shoot. He says, you, you probably want the others because they're, they're created for shooting. And so he bought a Kentucky Squirrel rifle and paid more. Well, it wasn't too long later, a rich farmer had come up and he was remodeling his mansion out on the farm there and he wanted to put a, a rifle above the mantelpiece of his fireplace and he came into the store and he saw that rifle and he thought, wow, that rifle will look great. And so he purchased it to put on the mantelpiece. Now when you, when you think about that, what happened? The, the fact that that rifle could not shoot... It attracted people differently, didn't it? 
Ultimately, it fulfilled its purpose to look good. God has given each of us a purpose too, and we can choose to work for God's glory and make disciples who love God and others, or we can choose to be just a decoration in the church. What purpose are you serving in your relationship with Christ? Are you fulfilling it? Let's pray. Father, we have... We've accomplished a lot of what you've asked us to do. And yet we've also failed at not doing things that you've, you've told us that we must do in life. And, and whether it be personal or even as a church, Father, we want to fulfill the purpose that you have given us. Father, that this world will be changed. It will be different because of the people that are right here in this room and who are watching this online that we won't just let this go in our ear and out the other, but Father, we'll be motivated to move out into our community to make a difference, to lead people to Jesus so that they in turn will bring you glory. Help us to be faithful for how you've created us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.